Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. How do you determine when someone with a long history, 50 plus years, and many failed relationships is ready to date in a year? Can you help with the question? I'm not quite sure I understand. I Well, to me, it feels like somebody who has a long history of, of relationship, failed relationships is looking to get into oh. the dating world. Like what, uh-huh. what the, I think this is a great question. What would you be looking for sure. to be able to start dating? Like how, like what, what benchmarks would you be looking for? Well, Tammy, I've talked about this before. The last thing I would ever want to do being a sex and love addict is choose my own dates and also go through the process of dating without support. So one thing I can say is I don't care whether you're 50 years or 20 years or, you know, what I know is that I have a bad picker and I pick the wrong people. And and I also turn away the right people. You know, I've had many because, you know, some of us say like, oh, they're boring, which means they're healthy. <laughs> and so, you know, Tammy and I've talked about this before, but I, I create a dating plan. I bring it to either sponsor or therapist. I go through that. I make sure it's approved. And then after every date, I go back to that person and say, do I want to date them again? And that they make that decision. So uh, very quickly, a dating plan, you can do it very simply as um, even just yes or no. So people I will date, they might be entertaining, they might be fun, they certainly have a job and they have a place to live and, you know, we enjoy each other's company and, you know, um, they laugh at my jokes, you know, all that on the positive so that you know kind of what you're looking for and, you know, what feels right. And then the other side is, uh, no, I don't continue dating this thing. And it's people like, you know, they're still using drugs, they're living with their ex-wife, you know, they, uh, they don't ever spend time with their kids. I mean, because I have had people say to me, oh, I know he's using heroin and yeah, he just got out of jail, but he's such a lovely person. So I would not make decisions. And I think that's a great guide. What I do is I go over my dating history, the things that have worked and haven't worked with someone who understands and will be very clear and direct with me. And then I hold myself accountable to them. So I don't date someone five times and get involved when they're really not a good choice for me. So all I can say is I'm clear, I contract with myself and someone else, and I run it by other people to make sure that my decisions are healthy ones. So I have two things to point out, because you said I go over my previous dating history. And I think that that's a really important aspect of it is to be able to talk to someone else about what are, you know, what are the places where you might be, uh, have some blind spots, you know, like, these are the things that have gotten me uh, less than um, desirable results in the past. So having right. that awareness and the accountability, like you talk about, I would like you to talk a bit about, um, so you've got a dating plan. What does a date look like? Cause you've shared this before as well. So, you know, it's, you know, it's not um, going out to the most well, romantic dinner in the, you know, in town. No, a date is a brief uh getting to know someone experienced and you both come in separate cars or vehicles or are separate and usually in a brightly lit a, a brightly lit ugly coffee shop and if you get through 20 minutes of coffee then maybe a few days later if you've chatted a little bit then you might go out for a walk um, for us we have to slow down 
and our thinking isn't always clear when we're in that moment of, you know, some people date and they're like, oh, this is exciting and this is great. And they're telling all their friends. For us, we get that way too, but it clouds our judgment. And so we need to make sure we set up dating so that it is safe. And once I get in a car with someone and we're going to their house, I forget it. So I have rules, like Tommy said, about what is healthy dating and what isn't. And I'll tell you why. Did I ever tell you what I used to do for dates before I was in recovery? I was really, I was like 23. But here I knew in my early recovery, I had to have three dates. That was my rule, three dates. So I met, I them, where this was going. I met them at a club. That was the first date. We met outside at their car. That was the second date. And then we lined up at my house to open the door. That was number three, because that let me made allowed me to meet my commitments and also have sex with them as soon as I met them. And that wasn't quite right. So having a plan. And by the way, I don't think I don't think saying four dates in a month or six dates in two months. I mean, it, 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 first of all, we race to the next date to make sure, you know, is this, and second of all, the goal is not to race to be able to have sex or fall in love. The goal is to get to know the person. And I don't know how long that's going to take. I'll say one thing that everyone hates and I hated it too, which is I went to therapist. I went to my therapist when I was single and I said to him, you know, okay, I really want to get with someone and I've had a few bad experiences. And I said, how long do you really think it takes to get to know someone well? And he said, two years. And, you know, I work with couples who move in after six weeks, and sometimes that's a miracle, and you live with them for 30 years, but more often than not, people like us end up in really bad situations, and we fall in love with them, and then we're kind of stuck in those situations because of how we feel. So feelings are not, write this down, feelings are not facts. No matter how I feel with someone, I may lose sight of the reality of who they are and what I need. I need other people to guide me. Thank you. I think that's important to have, like, here's the plan, but what is a date? Because, you know, it is not the three dates in I went, but five I got, minutes. I had a lot of dates. I had a lot of I'm dates. sure you did. So. <laughs> Back in the day. Okay. Um, next question. Dr. Rob, the betrayed partner of 45-year marriage. Thank you. My ex could not be um, um, but empathetic, stop his lies and meisms either. My essay did not realize what he lost, the a banquet of love in front of them, home. So you did a podcast on what is home. Um, so on, on our website, you can find a link to Sex, Love, and Addiction. It's I haven't looked in a while. It had over 1.1 million. I'm sure it's over 1.2 million now downloads. Um, yeah, on that. So, um, but he did, um, I can't remember if it was a one or two part, but it was like, what is home? So can you just briefly talk about that? Sure. But would you put the podcast in the chat? Because honestly, a lot of folks don't know much about this. And we have a hundred and something um, podcasts. And I often hear a lot. Um, I learned a lot from your podcast or I made my sex addict husband or wife listen to the podcast or I listen to them on the way to work. It keeps me from acting out. You know, we don't get any money from our podcast. It's all free. But I do think I've always believed there's it's important to have meaningful information on there and not just fashion and movies. So uh, obviously a lot of other people do because they're they're listening. So in answer to the question, um, I think for a long time, those of us who grew up in difficult families, we learned in a whole bunch of ways, including addiction, how to run away. I learned very early how to get out of there, how to escape. Sex was my best option to go find someone else to pay attention to me and get out of that place. 
Um, and I had good reason. My home was very, very troubled. And in fact, I went to college and I left for college a year early. I didn't go to my senior year because I was waiting for a school who would let me in. So, you know, it's just the way it was. And I had to survive. And that's how I survived. But, um, but oh, sorry, the sun is making me kind of look weird. Um, but what I didn't understand, and I think that almost all the men I work with in particular don't understand, is that you grow out, you you grow up and however you grow up and you have the experiences you have. And then this is what healthy people do. And they leave home and they go away and they have their life experiences, whatever. And then they create their own home. And that becomes, you know, hopefully a healthy image of what they grew up with and kids and family and all that. But what I truly believe is that we run away from home like I did. And then we keep running away from home. So we set up those homes with loved ones and people really love and families and the whole thing, just like everyone else. But we we don't stay there. We're running for other lovers. We're running for other people. We're running away. Sometimes the people I work with will think that they're running toward something. Like I'm running toward this person. I'm running toward this job. I'm, but the reality is, is that, and I'll, you know, my, to me, Love is not the most important four-letter word in the language. The most important word is home. Home is my foundation. Home is the support. Home allows me, and I mean home with a partner, with a family, something that I've built. Um, it can be by myself, but I think that means having a whole bunch of people out there that I regard as home and relate to and all of that. Um, but I know I'm much more successful. I'm much happier. I go out and fight the world and come home to support and love. And, you know, I, I think one of the challenges for us addicts is that we have trouble staying in one place. And it's just so easy to say, well, this home isn't this and this home isn't that. So I deserve to go out there and do that. And I'll say one more thing. Tammy, you guys know, or maybe some of you do, I do two-hour consultations. And I sit with couples, and I'm pretty good at guiding them from whatever challenge they're having into the next steps for toward healing. And when I talk to the spouses uh, about what are they concerned about? What are the issues at home? What, you know, they call because of sex. They reach out because of affairs. But when I ask them, what are you unhappy about? They say this much of it is affairs and sex and all that. That's what triggers the crisis. But what they say to me is, he or she's not intimate. We're not close. I don't feel like we're really connecting. They're there, but they're not really there, you know, or they're always at the computer or they're not joining family life. Or the biggest concern I hear from the spouses other than honesty is a lack of connection, and lack of intimacy. And I think that's because we don't know how to stay home and we don't know what home means. Um, and again, I'll say home is the foundation of my life, good and bad, right or wrong. When I said for, um, what is it, um, for better or for worse, I meant for better or for worse. And when things are bad, folks, that's your marriage. And when things are good, that's also your marriage. So um, anyway, I know that there's no better place for me to heal and grow in my healthy home. And the question is, which is a whole other discussion, is how do you know if you've created and you have a healthy environment? Um, which is a, something we should do a podcast about, by the way, Tammy. How do you well, know? Well, 
Yeah, I, I agree. But you also did, I was thinking, because you did a podcast on sex, love and addiction with Dr. Stan Tetkin about we do. And you talked about, you know, like I come home and, you know, like the, the home is the foundation. And when you are with a partner, he, the two of you talked about it when you're with a partner that and you're the relationship is the focus of what if it's good for the relationship, it's good for each of you. Then it's a you, then you two are better against the world. However, if that's not the case, then it's an unhealthy relationship and you're not in, and well, like, actually, it's not, it's the mental health. It's the physical, it's everything is negatively affected. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, uh, I did just have a two hour consult with a couple. And one of the things that came up is the addict male was saying, well, this is important and that's important. I want to do this. I want to do that. And she doesn't understand and blah, blah, blah. And I had to remind. And when I said to him, you realize that the most important decisions must be thought of in terms of what is best for us. You want to have a happy relationship? Make your decision based on what is best for us, whatever that is. Do I buy this? Do I go see these people? They don't like my in-laws. What is going to be best for the two of us? And if you don't know, you can work on that. But making decisions by myself for my relationship has not made my relationship better whenever I've done that. Um, what I usually get is, if you love me, why didn't you let me in? Maybe I wouldn't have agreed, but aren't we more important? You know, all of that stuff. And in addiction, that's the biggest piece. When I go out to do whatever, um, is it really the best choice for my relationship? Or is it the best choice for me to have integrity and to be a better human being? One of the things that I also said on this consultation to this gentleman was, what kind of man do you want to be? You know, forget what you've done to your spouse. Forget all of the things that you've done out there. Do you want to be an honest person? Do you want to be someone who has integrity? Do you want to be someone who reflects on themselves and feels good? Because, you know, you, what you're doing makes you feel like a bad person. And I don't think that's any way to live. And so, you know, I think that's part of the whole how to conduct a healthy relationship is the honesty, the integrity, despite that it may not go well for me. So anyway, my well, answer. I, I will just briefly tag on it because we have more questions too, but I like you and I both talk to lots of people and I, you know, I get exuberant, shall we say, for recovery. And I said again today to someone that like, if you just understood how good life can be in recovery, it's not perfect. And, you know, recovery doesn't magically fix things, but that integrity that you're talking about, like I I don't have to, you know, think about what lies did I tell today. I don't. I can go to bed at night knowing that, you know, I have I have done the very best I can, and I I have a clean slate, and I can start tomorrow over again. And that is such a gift because that is not how I lived. I lived in the chaos and craziness of addiction. So, okay, we have one more from last week, and then we're going to get to this week. So this is um, on the next one. It says. Hi, I've been with my wife for 14 years, and I've recently realized that I am a sex addict after my last affair and numerous compulsive behaviors, affairs, porn that began in my teenage years. I've been completely sober for five months, including alcohol, and I feel like um, I'm having a hard time finding healthy ways to cope other than just shutting down and being distant from my wife. I'm struggling with understanding and feeling intimate in other ways than sex. I know I have to put my wife, I know I have put my wife through hell and all of this is relatively new for her. And I am, I take complete ownership for what I've done. We are both currently in recovery, including 12 step groups and therapy. My emotions, my perspective, and probably my selfishness is all a new challenge that I continue to struggle with. 
I've read The Inner Child and Out of the Doghouse, and I will be reading both again. Any advice? Well, I think that all the goals you have are absolutely the ones that I wouldn't want to have. And a lot of the choices you're making and the way you're thinking about this, I think are wonderful. But it's been five months. Five months. God, what was five months ago, Tammy? Like Halloween or something? I mean, it, yeah. maybe yeah. the end of summer. It, it, that's a blink. And if you're, you know, anything over than older than 35, it, it blinks faster. So one of the issues I think we have is perfectionism and trying to get, you know, it's sort of like mm, every addict wants, wants what they want when they want it. And so for me, it would be, well, I've worked all this and I, I really know a lot more things. And, you know, I'm still struggling with the intimacy and the kindness. And, you know, you just started. And I don't know that everyone understands this is a lifelong chronic condition. It is no different than depression or anxiety or other issues, mental health and brain issues that under stress we will return to. What's missing, I think, is also the rewards. And I wanted to say this earlier, Tammy, that, you know, a, a lot, our work, not our work, but of a recovering person is I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and I'm really not going to do this. But if that's all you do, Tammy sort of touched on this, you're not going to stay in the healing place. When someone's alcoholic, we have to take them to an alcohol-free dance and teach them like alcohol, you can actually have fun without alcohol. And one of the requirements of this work is that you create a whole list of things that bring you joy and or find some things. And one of the things I'm struggling with, Tammy, is I got to find something fun to do, <laughs> like take a class or do, you know, because work is just all consuming. And I will be a better person when I am meeting the fun needs and the enjoyment needs. I'm not saying you should meditate and go to therapy and all, but there has to be, I go play tennis or I, you know, mow, I enjoy gardening, whatever it is, there has to be something to look forward to. So I look forward for you to having a much more healthy, engaged relationship. Um, it may well be at six months that this is a time to do a little couples therapy. Um, don't we, I thought we had, I could be wrong. I thought there was some course doesn't Eddie teach a course? Because I think this person said they went to a one of the web. The uh, Inner Child. So uh, I have read Inner Child and Out of the Doghouse. So I was going right. to suggest the work. Good. So I'll put the information in the chat. But go ahead. Keep going. We teach this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it, reading something is nice. But when you're sitting in a room with 25 people and you're hearing their responses and you're being taught and all of that, it's a very different thing. And. I've taken a lot of my writing, which I think people have felt good about and moved it into, you know, workshop form. Um, and the goal of that is you can get the pieces that you don't get in therapy or in 12 step meetings because you need to understand how addiction works. You need to understand what it means and where it's coming from. And so basically going all back to this, I think that your expectations are way too high of yourself. And I think I hope that spouses realize that and I hate to say this, we can stop acting out, but becoming a kinder, more compassionate person, that takes time, you know? And I hear a lot from you spouses, well, he or she's gotten sober, it's really great, but they're still a jerk. <laughs> they're still incredibly narcissistic. And, you know, one lesson at a time, um, I do think out of the doghouse, it is an empathy-focused book and course on how to help a man understand and work through betrayal with a woman. 
And because my experience is most men don't know how to do that. It's been flowers. It's been candy. I, you know, it's been three months. Why aren't you forgiving me? And that's just not it. So I think I've said it, Tammy. I think it's a kinder, easier walk. And I would also let your spouse know, you know, sometimes I don't respond in the right way. Sometimes I'm not listening. Sometimes I don't even know what you want. Um, And I want to. I, I also think, I'm sorry to go on and on, that if you haven't done this right, you need to spend a lot more time asking the person you're with, what do they want? We make up all kinds of things in our head. Well, this will make them happy. That will make her. It may not be what you think. And so the beginning of exploring, not just the addiction piece and how that's affected, but what would bring you, what could make us a happier couple beyond all of that? And that you two could sit down and talk about. So I don't expect you to know, and I don't expect it to come automatically. It takes work to be a better person, just like it takes work to stop acting out. So I've said lots of things, Tammy. I hope I answered some of the question. Um, I have two things to add. So the yes. Out of the Doghouse work group, I put a link in the uh, chat for that. They're, they're always on our website. The, there's a okay. work group tab, but the next Out of the Doghouse starts again February 9th. So there's opportunities to register for that. The other thing I want to tag on with what you said, because I'm having a hard time finding ways to cope, healthy ways to cope. I don't hear a three circle plan in this. And I'm not saying that you didn't do right. one, but the out people have said, you know, do the circles change? And I'm like, yes, I really hope that your outer circle continues to add more things that you like to do. You were talking about, I need to find some things to do. I, I went paddle boarding and hiking this weekend. Guess who feels really good today? I know it's like one of those, but that, that brings me joy and, you know, fills my soul, you know? And so, so it, and I went to a 12 step meeting today, but like, it's one of those, I don't, my recovery and my healthy stuff is not just 12 step or recovery based. It is also, it is things, you know, so is it would, would the two of you going for a walk, would you, you know, like I need to go for a walk, me connecting to nature, going for a walk or run is a really good choice, you know? So, so think about what are things that, that help you, you know, and that you can be intentional about and, and pay uh, like, cause that's coping is like, you know, like going for a walk. Like sometimes I just go for a walk cause that's helping me cope and process through well, things. And so. I, I want to add to that, which is I not good. I don't have very good handwriting. Don't, don't tell anybody. And so, and my husband is really into calligraphy. And he said, why don't we take a calligraphy course together and I can advance my skills and you can, and it was one of those Japanese brushstrokes. Mm-hmm. We did it together. You know, we weren't talking about the problem. We weren't dealing with our emotions. We were just doing something that had nothing to do with our heads. And that drew us closer. So it may not just, I think I'm tagging off a Tammy here. It doesn't just have to be therapy and working on yourself there may be things you can learn about with each other. I do want to say to you spouses though, and I hear this a lot and, and I understand this fully, but when we are recovering, when we're working on the early stages, when we're out, coming out of a treatment center, you want us available. I get that. You want us available as much as possible. You want us to take back some of the responsibilities laid on your shoulders for so long while we were absent. And here's the thing, when when we say in treatment or Tammy and I are saying, you need to take a class or you know go back to playing tennis with friends or whatever your joy was, spouses can say, well, wait a minute, you weren't here before. 
and you were letting me down and the family down. And now you want to go out with your friends and, you know, work on cars. What about me? What about my time? How could you, you know, you had your fun. And here's the reality is that we still need stuff to make us happy for ourselves. All we know is what we did before. And that made everybody unhappy. So there, even though I know you spouses feel like it's my turn and our, our kids and whatever that is, we do need places to go that are just fun and bring us joy that are not sexual and not romantic. And by the way, I invite you to join us and maybe we can have some fun together. Um, my calligraphy, however, I have to say, I still, I didn't do a very good job, but we had a lot of fun. And, and you know, if it's cooking, you know, it, it doesn't, it yeah. isn't so much the what it is, it is that we're doing this together. And you know what, if you try something and that's really not your thing, guess what? Try something else. I wanted to tag on though too, and I promise we're going to get to the next questions, but um, like I hear from partners who go, now he's out golfing, but he's golfing with all the unsafe people. The, these right. are the same guys he went to Vegas and acted out with. That's not okay. It's called, you, ha you have to find new friends. You have to find friends that are going to support you in recovery. So, so doing those things is a good thing. Now, partners also need and you know, to have, you know, friends that are supportive, don't have to talk about recovery, but like just that you get the mental health breakup. These are, you know, I hiked with a friend, you know? Um, uh, so, so like just going out and being with other people is a good thing. So, okay. Well, and yeah, I mean, we could go on and on uh, yes. about that. But we won't. We're going to get to the now we're going to start on the questions for today. Have you ever discussed or you agree or disagree that porn addiction is attributed to OCD? Is this addiction or addiction overall a result of obsessive compulsive? Thanks much. So can you talk about the relationship between addiction sure. and OCD? Thanks. So um, I think this is how I think about it. And I think it's been useful. Of course, I would because I think about it this way. So I'm always validating me. But I think there's a real difference between, so both addiction and obsessive compulsive disorder um, are biological and nurture. Um, and both are there, we act out both, whether it's checking the stove and making sure there's 12 ceiling tiles and taking the left exit. We do all this obsessive stuff to release anxiety. We also drink, use, and act out addictively to relieve anxiety and to escape. The difference is, is that addiction is pleasurable. So to me, when I go drink, when I go use, when I go gamble, when I, you know, it is obsessive and compulsive, but it's fun. And there's a, or sorry, but there is an exciting, interesting, fun con that drives me forward. Like I want to go do that. And to me, that defines addiction. When you're abusing the neurochemistry in your body to make yourself feel okay over and over again, while you're not doing things that are healthy for you, that's addiction. But if you are checking the stove, um, counting, I've had people count the dots on my tie, Tammy. You know, my niece was just in treatment and she is OCD, also an addict. And she said, oh my God, for the first time I can think clearly. So OCD is really about doing the same things over and over again to alleviate anxiety and fear, but they're not fun. It's no fun to, make sure you turned off the alarm clock 12 times. It's no fun to have to take the same exit on the freeway over and over again because you're scared if you take another one. So th those aren't fun things. They also get in the way of recovery. So I, that's how I think about it. But here's something 
to think about if you have questions about this, go see a professional. This is when you need to go see a psychiatrist and say, because I don't think porn addiction, someone asked me this actually, we had a psychiatrist and he was, we were, I was working with him and he said, oh yeah, your people are compulsive. They're all have OCD. And I said, no, in fact, there's not much correlation in the research between OCD and addiction. The biggest correlation is ADD and addiction, attention disorder, impulsivity, that kind of thing. Oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Or, you know, all of that. I see it. I want it. I do it. Um, that needs to be addressed. So um, we get obsessive. We get compulsive. But I... The question is, here's a good one. Are you obsessive compulsive in other parts of your life? Because OCD is not just confined to porn. You will find yourself in those other arenas like counting. And my niece said she used to count in her head. You know, how many steps do I have to this? And over and over, like, do I have this amount of money or that amount of money? This amount, like back and forth, up and down. That's OCD. But it happens in multiple areas. And I think that's actually part of the diagnosis, Tammy, is it has to happen in multi multiple parts of your life. So if it's just the porn, it's probably not OCD. That was really helpful. Thank you for clarifying that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com. 